Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, mom to Skylar, my incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast five years ago was that the content of each episode brings hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I sincerely hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life underscore Lori Hellman. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes or Audible, please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season five of Living the Sky Life. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Living the Sky Life. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of GI health. Um, As I've been very transparent over the years that Skylar, my son, who is 20, has terrible uh, GI issues. He was diagnosed with Crohn's disease several years ago. And it's just been a constant battle with trying to get his health under control. So I found the next guest on the podcast, um, and I have been working with him to help transform Skylar's diet and overall gut health. So my guest today is Josh Deck. Josh is an ex-paramedic and holistic nutritionist specializing in Crohn's and colitis and other related gut issues. It was the success his clients have had with complex digestive diseases previously thought to be impossible to fix that got him connected to some of the world's most renowned doctors. Since then, Josh has been recruited to the Priority Health Academy as a medical lecturer, helping educate doctors on the holistic approach to gut health and inflammatory bowel disease. Josh also has a podcast called um, Reversible, and it's R-E-V-E-R-S capital A, capital B, capital L, capital E. So check that out as well. So enjoy my conversation and hopefully get some new information about gut health with Josh. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. Um, I am excited to have my guest today, um, who is a GI specialist, um, Josh Deck. Um, I actually went live on my subscriber page a week or so ago and discussed the benefits that I've seen with Skylar and his GI health since I started working with Josh. So I thought it was imperative that I have him on the podcast for all of you to get some insight into the stuff that we are struggling with with our kids and their GI systems. So Josh, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my show today. Lori, it's a pleasure to be here. I love this, as you know, and if I go a single day without talking about poop, it's a weird day. So I'm really just, I'm keeping up the high like a drug addict. Let's talk about feces. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, the amount of graphs and charts and uh, documents that I have all about bowel movements, and I even put it in a chapter in my book about bowel movements. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, can you, before we get into all of that stuff, can you share a little bit of background about yourself? I, I find your your background and how you kind of got into all of this world of Crohn's and colitis and GI disease very intriguing. So can you share it with us? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I like to say my entire life is just a series of happy accidents where things just kind of, I like to say they happened to me, but really they did happen for me. So my first career I went to college for was actually paramedics and I loved it. I loved dealing with the medical and the trauma and I really enjoyed being in the thick of it. It was really interesting where 
I wanted to change careers because I learned very quickly that it was not healthcare. It was, in fact, sick care. I picked people up for the same things over and over. And I was the bottom of the totem pole of medicine. I was just the guy who picked them up, a glorified ambulance driver who I keep you alive till we get there. And so I wasn't even one of the medical doctors. And so I picked people up for the same stuff over and over. I take them to the hospital. They get more of the same drug. They get a different drug. Oftentimes they call us, try to take them back home like a cab. And then that was it until one day these people stopped calling because they died because they never got better. And so it was this reactive medical sick care. We're just barely keeping people alive and that's no quality of life. And so we might have longer health or longer lifespans, but our health spans are substantially shorter. And so in my early twenties, I changed careers. I got into personal training. It's something I'd done for a long time. And this woman came to see me. One of my first clients in my professional career, her name was Lynn. She was 57 years old. We started together. She was taking 17 pills and a shot of insulin for breakfast. She had nine pills and insulin for dinner. She had a CPAP machine for bed. She had high blood pressure, borderline congestive heart failure. She was on the disability list at work. Like you name it, stuff was going down. She was a type two diabetic. Everything was going on with this woman. And by the time she turned 59, two years of working together, three days of exercise a week, managing food, nutrition, lifestyle, sleep, all the basics, she was off all but two medications. And those are only because of a surgery she had on her stomach. And so that was a turnaround she had. But as if that wasn't enough, we'll put a cherry on top of the gate here, Lori, 59 years old. I said, Lynn, how much do you trust me? By now, she's like, no questions asked. Like, you know, I go over to their place for dinner all the time. And so I said, okay, sign here. And she did. I said, great. Three months, you're into your first powerlifting competition. So we got her a belt, got her a singlet. She broke a world record at 59 years old. That's awesome. It was a wild ride. And she kept breaking records till she was 62 when she retired. And that was mostly during like COVID when everything sort of collapsed. I still kept clients over the years. I still have two that I still work with because I've had them for, you know, eight years. And so it just really highlighted the potential of the human body. And I've loved it since forever. So we'll take the next step. I'm at a trade show and I hear someone talking about the gut biome in my early twenties at this point. And they're talking about the role and the connection and how it works. And it started to sound to me, which I still hold this idea today that it may be more important than our DNA. And as she was talking about this information from stage, Lori, it was love at first sight. I said, that is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I saved up. I went back to school. I became a nutritionist and I dove all in and everybody I saw was gut gut, gut. And I started talking about the gut. People came to see me for more about the gut. And then the more severe cases came to see me. And then one day my first ulcerative colitis client came to see me and 90 days turned them around after years. And they were perfectly fine. No signs of disease. And I just fell in love with the need for this, you know, this Crohn's and colitis. And it is a rampant issue. And the better I got, the more people I saw until one day someone came to see me who was working with a functional medicine specialist who came in to see me. We fixed them in 90 days. Their doctor said, let's talk. We got on a call. I now lecture at his functional medicine academy. And he opened the door for me to meet all these amazing doctors that I've worked with now in my lifetime. Stephen Gundry, Peter McCullough just exploded. And now we're, we're, Next week, I'm in Dallas doing a TV show about it. Like, it's just, nice. it's been amazing. And it's all been because of this wonderful doctor, Dr. Salibi, who opened this door for me because he believed in what we were doing. Well, it's one of the things you told me when we first started working together and talking about all of this stuff is that what I think people misunderstand, and I, I certainly did, is that you're not born with these autoimmune disorders. You're not born mm. with Crohn's. It's just sitting dormant and it's just kind of waiting to just thrive on your body, that that's something that's developed over time. So is there something 
besides diet, I mean, I'm sure diet is the most large part of this whole thing, but is there a primary cause or contributing, contributing factors to, I guess it's IBD, but does the IBD turn into Crohn's if it's untreated and, and all of those things? Is there something mm -hmm. that starts this chain reaction to causing all of the stomach issues that. Totally. Okay. Totally. So let's, let's start from the very beginning. So gut, good gut bacteria, right. Starts right from utero from birth. You get it from the womb and you get it from breastfeeding. And we know we, like there was a study I pulled actually for an OBGYN podcast. We pulled up a meta-analysis of 19 different studies where they took all these babies and illnesses over time. And they found that babies who are strictly bottle fed versus breastfed were twice as likely to die from SIDS, develop neuroinflammatory conditions like autism, ADHD. They were getting diabetes, obesity, all kinds of issues that they were having because of that microbiome not being built properly. And so it really can start right from the beginning. I've recently started working with uh, speaking to a mother and she's got a three-year-old with ulcerative colitis and it's a fungal issue. She actually developed, she had a lot of candida, candidiasis. She had a lot of candida infection under her breast and she had mastitis while she was breastfeeding because of the fungus, which the baby ingested. And that was part of his microbiome or microbiome development experience was a heavy dose of fungus. Now we all have some fungus. It's part of the ecosystem, but imbalance in that ecosystem is the problem. And so it can start very early. Let's talk about development in life, right? Any imbalance is where it comes from. And there's, there's three ways that anybody's going to develop any kind of Crohn's or colitis ever. There are no other ways this happens conclusively across the board. And these are large, we'll say umbrellas, but this is the definitive information we have to 2024 in the functional medicine space. So number one is going to be toxins, right? Our three contributing factors. The first one is toxins. Is that a mold toxin? Is that toxins in the environment? We know there was a study done from the Environmental Working Group. It was actually done by the Red Cross, published by the Environmental Working Group in 2004. And they found that brand new babies, 10 freshly cut umbilical cords, had something like 287 chemicals in them, artificial, from cigarette smoke and trash and burning garbage and pollutants and pesticides and all kinds of stuff. Over 100 were known to cause cancers or neurological birth defects, all kinds. And you talk about autism, right, being what's considered now an autoimmune or neuroinflammatory condition, which is very much linked to the gut and gut health. Of course, we're having you know a, a bad stage set right from the beginning. And then we look at this and extrapolate it further. Well, 50 years ago, it was what, one in 30,000 or 50,000 kids. Today, it's arguably up to one in three who might be on the spectrum of either Asperger's all the way to like a nonverbal autism. And so it's getting more severe, the more polluted our world is getting. And so toxins are a huge part of this, but now we're talking about the brain, but remember your brain has billions and billions of neurons. You got about 500 million in your gut alone. You have this whole enteric nervous system. And so your gut and your brain often suffer the same fates when it comes to neurological issues mm -hmm. and they communicate together bidirectionally. So that's number one, the first thing. It's either from birth, like we talked about, but the first thing that causes developmental IBD is going to be toxins. The second one is microbial imbalances, which again, we talked about with breastfeeding, for example, we have our entire microbiome, right? The average adult is two to 3% of our entire body weight. So we're talking four to six pounds for the average adult, up to a hundred trillion bacteria. Now, Lori, when we're born, right, we are born with approximately 99% human cells, plus what we get from utero coming through the birth canal, right? The vaginal microbiome covering the baby. It's about 1% of microbiome in the, in, or microbes in the entire baby's human body. So we're 99% human, 1% microbes. By the time we die, 
we are 90% microbes and 10% human. That's how important these bacterium are. And so these imbalances that we start to get over the years and over time as they develop, microbes integrate with everything we do. They communicate bi-directionally. They help develop genes. Right? It's part of the genomic expression. It's part of your DNA. It's part of detoxification, neurotransmitter production. 90% of neurotransmitters, which is a big issue that we see a lot in autism as well, is coming from the gut. It's coming from that neurotransmitter issue as well. And so 90% is made there. 70 to 90% of our immune cells, depends on who you ask, are inside of the gut, right? Depends on what literature you're reading, but that's your B cells, your T cells, your T reg cells, all these things that grow, which we need to communicate back and forth with the body to signal immune and inflammatory responses. Well, if those are dysregulated, then we have a problem with our regulation of inflammation. You have bacteria that's going to be all over the place. Like that whole ecosystem is out of whack. Imagine having a community that's all gangs and drug dealers and no police and school teachers and kids and, you know, a, a nice ecosystem. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And so it's that imbalance that causes problems. So our first developmental issue is toxins. The second is bacterial or microbial imbalances, which again includes fungus, yeast, and parasites and all these things. And the third one, like you mentioned, is diet or nutrient deficiencies. Now, a poor diet leads to inflammation, leads to bacterial imbalances, contributing toxins to the body. You see how it's very mm -hmm. incestuous, it right? Toxins, adding, microbes, adding on. right? It's just, it's <laughs> snowballs. Yeah. And then again, nutrient deficiencies. We need nutrients. And the analogy I like to use is picture you're, on, you're living in a house and you're running on well water, right? You got 10 gallons a minute and you shower with that, you bathe with that, and it's enough to manage all the needs of the home. Right? That's about the nutrients coming into the body. We typically have just enough to sort of manage what we need to. But the minute your house is on fire and you've only got a well for water, you got to dig deep and you pull out all that water, all the stops to try to put the fire out in your house. Well, that, that well is not filling up fast enough. There's not enough vitamins and minerals filling that well to compensate for the excessive use of vitamins and minerals in an inflamed or less than ideal body. And what ends up happening is we run dry. And so your body then has to steal vitamins and minerals from other places. So we'll get like sensitive teeth because you're actually extracting minerals from the enamel in your teeth. Hmm. You'll start to lose your hair. Your hormones get imbalanced, right? Everything starts to fall apart because these nutrients, we all talk about calories, right? Get your macros, your proteins, your fats, whatever. But micronutrients, these vitamins and minerals are the, the essence of every enzymatic and cellular reaction inside the body. We need them to detoxify. We need them to build cells. We need them to perform chemical reactions, to create hormones, to signal back and forth with your immune responses. And if we're imbalanced, and most of us are, because I mean, one, 80% of the average American diet is processed food, which is void of nutrients. But two, modern farming practices Frankly, Lori, they suck balls. Mm -hmm. like, it's just terrible, yeah. right? It's not, it, it's 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 monocropping. It's tilling the soil. It's ripping everything apart. And the entire bacterial microbial layer is gone. And so if we look at the basics of what we call biogeochemical cycling, where, for example, an apple falls off the tree, it gets to the ground and that decomposes. And then the cow eats that grass that's grown now from this decomposed nutrient-rich soil. The cow eats the grass and then I eat the cow. That is this biogeochemical cycling. We don't have that. We have dead dirt fertilized with chemicals to grow a seed to produce a product which is void of nutrients. And some studies, University of Texas back in 0506 did a study back in 0506 saying we might need eight to 10 oranges today 
to get the nutrients great grandma would have had in one. Today, the argument's made up to 20 oranges. So we're void of all these nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so now we have all these toxins in our system. We have all these microbial imbalances and we're too deficient in nutrients to make things balanced out. And so our body goes haywire and it contributes to inflammation and autoimmune conditions. And that's sort of the development of IBD. Well, it's crazy too, because I, I know a lot of parents listening can relate to my experience just because I'm vocal about it, but I think we've all been through it where we've noticed our kids with chronic constipation or some kids have di chronic diarrhea um, when they're young. I mean, this started with Skylar when he was very little and I, I was told to give him cod liver oil and all of these, you know, symptomatic fixes to just to treat the short-term constipation, get him going. And then we'd be right back in the cycle. And it's like four mm. or five days of it. It took us until he was 16 to finally get a gastroenterologist based in New York to, to actually scope him because no one wanted to scope him. They said, he's too young. We don't do colonoscopies on Ugh. people that young. And they thought I was just kind of being erratic and crazy. And as I told you, we were just told, give him Miralax, give him Dulcolax, do all of these things, double the doses. And I know that that's plastic. Miralax is plastic, totally. ground up plastic, basically torturous for our kids. But we, we drive ourselves crazy as parents and caregivers trying to figure out how to get help. For someone to tell yeah. us what to do. And even though he has the Crohn's diagnosis, it wasn't until I joined your Facebook page, the IBS support and solutions page, because people were like, well, go to these groups because Skylar is nonverbal. I had no idea what inflamed his Crohn's, what foods to give him, not to give him, to stay away from, all of those things. And I was praying that people on your page would be able to like help me with that because no doctors will ever tell you that either. They give you, you know, it's not to bash physicians because there's a definite place. And, and I know you work with them too. It's just the medications that they were giving us for Skylar's Crohn's maybe were treating the inflammation a little bit, but he was still chronically constipated. And so I just, in my own gut, uh, no pun intended, I kept thinking there has to be a correlation between his food and these medicines because mm. his behaviors are terrible. You know, one of the first things I said to you when we worked together is he hits us all the time. He had been put on tons of medications for anxiety and impulsivity and all the classic autism medications that they say, well, your kid's just anxious because of his autism and these GI problems are happening because he's autistic. That's just, just mm -hmm. co comorbid, it always goes together. And all of these things, but he's not getting any better. And so it's great to have the diagnosis of Crohn's, but then what do parents like us do with it? So yeah. I'm just so grateful that I took the plunge and reached out to you and like, can you help me even though he's the patient? I'm not, I can be the translator, but I guess, so what do parents like me kind of do from the beginning if we have a child that has a chronic constipation diarrhea stomach upset whatever all of those symptoms look like what do we do first besides calling you but like what do we do <laughs> what do we do yeah. do we look to food right away first or do we try medications always yeah always food so so here's the thing you know obviously there's a neurological component but the way as far as i'm concerned you know when medical doctors say well there's just a correlation it's just the way it is magic is magic when we can't explain it mm 
It's science once we can. And as far as I'm concerned, these doctors must think this is freaking magic. It just magically appears. We don't know what happens. Yeah. It's blah, blah, blah. Like I can break it down pretty easily. Here's what happens. You have some kind of Typically, in autism, you'll see microbial or fungal issues or neurological issues, which can affect motility, which leads to toxins and bacterial imbalances and nutrient deficiencies. So we're back to our three rings anyways. Now, we look at that. The primary causes I see in IBD 90% of the time, and some of the top functional medicine specialists in the world agree with me on this one. In fact, Dr. Jill Carnahan, um, who's a mold specialist, IBD, she actually had Crohn's disease when she was growing up, cured it 23 years later, gone. And we agree on all these things exactly. The top two causes are fungus and mold, which are contributed dramatically by food, environment, lifestyle, all those things, which then contribute again back to our toxins, microbes, and nutrient deficiency issues that lead to IBD. And so what do we do from the beginning? And for the listeners, you might be going, well, maybe it's genetic, it's whatever. There are three more things that lead to autoimmunity we can, we can get to. It is a Venn diagram after all that I talk about. But when we go back to what do we do, unfortunately, when you're dealing with things like autism, like you've experienced, right? When we feed him certain things, he acts out more. He's hitting more. He's more aggressive. And those are just, like you and me, we talk about this being neurotypical and go, well, I'm actually having bloat. Or I actually have more diarrhea. I'm in a lot of pain today. And he'll just hit and scream and yell mm -hmm. because he can't communicate. Figure it out. And so <laughs> right, we have to figure it out. And so you know, we, we do have to figure that out eventually, but is it food? And for him, it was. So very quickly, we realized, well, this is a fungal issue. This is a candidiasis problem. And so candida typically is a small intestinal bacteria. And so even doctors will go and do stool and go, well, no, you don't have fungus. And my own nurse practitioner I've been seeing for years when I, I go in, I mean, I love her. She's been a friend of mine for a long time, but she's still classically trained. And so when I go in and I need something, it's like, hey, like here's what I'm looking for. And I can talk to her. And she's usually pretty good about it. But even her, I went in with this GI map that I managed myself. My candida on my map was low. Well, a GI map is a stool sample coming from the lower GI. Well, candida is an upper GI problem. I still have a fungal issue I'm working on, but it's not detecting, so they won't do anything about it. And so even these medical doctors, when you give them the information, still fight you on things. And so you have to be your own advocate. And so going back to answer the original question now with a little bit extraneous context is that we do have to go through and look at food. How is food reacting? Now, we often, again, we'll go back to what am I eating or how much am I eating? That's what we're trained to do is count calories. But what I'm interested in is seeing is how are you responding to food? And so what do we do with Skylar? We went back and revamped the meal plan. Let's see how he does in a couple of days. And instantly he was better. Bowel movements were reduced. He wasn't acting out. He wasn't hitting because he was in less pain. And so we knew right away that even though he wasn't showing huge candida, say on a stool sample, the symptoms lined up with fungal. And then the food, which we experimented with, came back and said, okay, we've confirmed that pulling out fungal triggers improved his symptoms. Therefore, it's going to be fungal. Let's go after this. And once we get the fungus down, we restore those microbial imbalances. We reduce the toxins and improve his ability to absorb vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. Mm -hmm. And that's going to dramatically improve him over time. And I'm very excited to see, I don't, I'm not saying this to give any kind of false hope because truthfully, I don't work with a lot of autism in my practice mm -hmm. just because Unfortunately, a lot of people or parents dealing with autism, there's not a lot of support financially. Yeah. And so for them to come and see me can be financially hindering. Right. That's yeah. the main reason I don't see autism, right? Mm -hmm. And so on the other hand, when we're dealing with this, there's a lot of contradiction. There's a lot of confusion we get from the medical system. And so ultimately, what do we do? I'd say come and see an expert for sure, mm -hmm. especially when you're dealing with autism. There's a bi-directional relationship between that neuroinflammation. And so I'm not saying this to give false hope. 
but I've heard some really remarkable stories about nonverbal autistic kids repairing their guts and the immune systems and their nervous systems and taking the inflammation down so much and restoring their vitamins and minerals, reducing toxins, again, heavy metals and all kinds, and restoring the bacteria and becoming verbal in reading. Like this is something that's unheard of for most parents. And again, I'm not saying this to give false hope. Right. I, some people are going to be pissed off about this. And that's, that's fine. I'm just giving you the data. You do what you want with it. Uh, but the idea is I know my youngest brother, he's on the spectrum, he's Asperger's and he's always been relatively high functioning. But once we, re we fixed his food, he became more high functioning, mm -hmm. right? He's still the typical Asperger's like going to work to make my 50 cents. They only pay you 50 cents, <laughs> like, like that literal <laughs> ideology. But the idea being that a lot of things are improved, outbursts are improved, moods are more stable. And so the degree at which we can improve, who knows? There are a lot of autism experts who say you can get 50 to 90% improvement, but it takes years and years because again, now you've, you've had a brain that's developed after all these years, which has been neuro inhibited due to neuroinflammation. Imagine having a sprained ankle. It's so severe. You can't walk around and do your normal functions. Neither can the nervous system. So the basic learning and abilities to read and write and speak and communicate will forever be delayed. But if they can have a normal semblance of a life back mm -hmm. where they're not, you know, yelling and hitting and they can communicate and you can understand like your kid can feel love and show love. That's the greatest thing a parent can do is to actually feel like like autistic kids who don't want to be touched, right? There's the ones who want to be bound and squeezed all the time, but those who don't want to be touched at all. And some of the greatest stories I've seen are these parents who are actually receiving love back from their kids mm -hmm. because they have the neurological capacity to show it. And that's amazing. And we're one. And that's something <laughs> I'm one too. Right? He's just hugged for the first time this year or la the end of that's last amazing. year. And yeah, he kissed me last night after um, I was praising <laughs> his spelling. He did so well last night. Um, oh, I could cry. Yeah. That's so amazing. The, the GI map that we did was like critical. And I've seen in the autism world and in the communities, um, there's a group called Taka. I don't even know if they changed their name years ago. It's all like holistic and all of these things too. Kind of some of the same, same things you're talking about. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that is where GI maps are talked about a lot. But for people that aren't familiar with that, is it able to be ordered by a physician or like, could they just do that type of thing through you or, you know, connect with that lab that you sent me to and just order on their own? Because I think that told me more than I could have found out any other way. And we can talk a little bit about Skylar's, but I mean, when you broke it down and explained it to me, it was shocking. The candida, the fungus, all of the things. And you said he had no good bacteria at all. He's not mm. processing fats. You you could tell all of that from this report based on his stool sample. So um, that told us kind of the direction to go in, I guess, with his diet. Totally. So. Yeah. So let's talk about a GI map then. So GI map is exactly what it sounds like. It's a stool sample. You send it to the lab and they will analyze all the bacteria that they can. Now, again, we talked about a hundred trillion bacteria multiplied out. There's about 20 million different strains and species in the works. So it's very complicated, but we can see 50 to hundred depends on the GI map, but they're very actionable things. And so a lot of doctors don't actually bother. I've heard GI specialists go, oh, those are a useless test. Meanwhile, I use that to fix their patient they never got to work on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's very actionable material. The thing about a GI map that we have to keep in mind is it is a matter of interpretation and context. So we can order them. I'm not discouraging people from ordering them. I just want to save you four to $500 to order one. Now, a physician, yes, they can order them. The question is, do they know what to do with it? 
right? You can give me a set of blueprints. I have no idea what to do with it. Is it, do I draw on it? Do I eat it? Do I use it for kindling for my fire? Or was my wife as an architectural designer? She'll look at that and know exactly all the schematics of a building and all the next steps. So it is, it is a skill set for sure. But at the very least, when you do have one of these GI maps, it can show you a ton. And that shows you again, the good and bad bacteria imbalance. We can see, like we saw in Skylar's, we can see, okay, well, the liver is not processing fats. This explains his greasy, oily stools. If the liver is not processing fats, I can see, for example, if he had fungus on his GI map, I can actually pull it up here on my computer. Um, but we see candida. So we know, again, candida is not a, low, not a lower GI. It's an upper GI microbe. If we detect it in the lower GI, Ooh, you know, it's pretty heavy. There's a lot of it. And so it's going to take time to break down, but that will also create toxins, which go into the liver, preventing the liver from doing its job and digesting and metabolizing food, which explains why the fats end up in his stool. So it's now it's a toxicity issue. So now again, we have microbes and we have toxins inflaming, leading to more nutrient deficiencies. Again, this incestuous three root causes. And so when we look at a GI map, can anybody get one it depends. Most labs do require a practitioner referral. Mm -hmm. um, most pra I'm just a nutritionist, right? I'm a holistic nutritionist by trade. I work in functional medicine, but I'm only certified as a functional medicine or as a, a holistic nutritionist, but I can still order them. So they're, they're pretty willy nilly a lot of the time, but do you know what to do with it and how to interpret it in right. the greater scheme of the data, mm -hmm. right? That's really important. Um, there are two more tests that are typically very recommended by guys like Dr. Kurt Wohler, who's just world renowned for this stuff, especially in autism, is what we call the oat or the organic acid test. I know we're still waiting for Skylar's waiting. results. Yeah, I'm anxiously right? waiting. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad they didn't come in for this call. It would have been great to kind of disseminate <laughs> and break it down. Um, the other one is like a heavy metals test. There's a huge correlation between heavy metals and autism, as well as heavy metals and Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative or neuroinflammatory conditions. But in organic acids, for example, that can show us fungus. We can see what's on there. It can show us neurotransmitters, which you will see in autism, skewed neurotransmitters. We will show bacterial imbalances. It can indicate mold, for example, so we can see more toxins. There's 76 different markers, and it does... This isn't a test I recommend anybody get, and I do not recommend ordering it unless you have someone who can interpret it because it, it, it's, it, it's months and years to really master this test, to get all you can out of it. Otherwise, you look at three markers and you know they're out of context, whereas everything is contextual. Where if marker one, three, and seven are high, it means this. If one, three, and 15 are high, it means that instead. But if five is low, like it's just this whole interpretation thing. Uh, but they're great tests. So we have GI mapping, which shows our stool. We have the oat or the organic acid test, which is a urine test, which gives us 76 different markers to tell on a cellular level what's happening. We can see the toxins in the body. We can see neurotransmitter function. That's going to be your dopamine and serotonin, epinephrine, all the things we need. We can see neuroinflammation and detoxification on that, which is amazing. Then even something like a heavy metals, like a hair analysis. Some don't agree with heavy metals in hair. Some do just like oats and GIs, but they've been found very useful. And it's something, again, Dr. Kurt Wohler does use as well. Um, so they're amazing tests. What we have to know is where are these imbalances coming from? What's causing the problem? And ultimately, what do we do with it? That's the hardest part. I get asked all the time, can I just do a GI map? I said, yes, but you're wasting your money, unfortunately, unless you know what to do with it. And even the ones you spend more on when they have an AI computer run the sample and it says, okay, you're low in this, take this supplement, or you're showing this, take this supplement. Some of them are actually really off base because it's all contextual in the grand scheme as a clinician to make the interpretation, not for the computer to match A with A. And that's the difference. So again, not to dismantle the hope, there are some amazing tests mm -hmm. out there, but they do require context unless you are going to throw money out the window. Now you're throwing good money after bad.
Is there, so if those those are <clears throat> not able to be obtained by someone who can read them or they're prohibitively expensive for families, we've always been told and, and much of the autism community has is geared towards staying away from dairy and, you know, gluten and casein. That's what we're told totally. from the very beginning. Like, well, your kids can't, you know, can't have dairy. If they stop the dairy and the gluten, then they'll, you know, be able to speak and, you know, that'll, it'll clear up everything. There's no magic fix to anything. And I, I guess, you know, just using my own personal experience with Skylar, we, you gave me to, from the beginning a very strict food list that didn't have those things on it, but it did have like, um, gluten-free. I mean, like he, he couldn't have wheat, but it didn't say he couldn't have gluten-free. So at the beginning, the first mm -hmm. couple of weeks of when we started our phase one, um, I was giving him, um, some rice on occasion or, uh, cauliflower rice. And I was giving him like gluten-free pasta with his pesto or whatever that he likes, because I'm like, okay, well, it's not wheat. So he's okay. Mm -hmm. But then he wasn't getting any better. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm following your, you know, guide. And Obviously, what what I didn't understand and what I'm willing to admit is that I didn't see the correlation necessarily with the starches and the sugars, no matter how many gluten free fig bars I gave him or whatever it was that he really liked, it was still feeding the candida. So I wasn't helping with anything, even mm. though the supplements were, were trying to work. I was kind of negating all of that, I guess, by giving him some of those things. So as you said, you know, week three and week four or four and five, the minute I re restricted him to meat and vegetables only, and he was like smiling and laughing. And I have videos of that. Like he, we got him back. Like he finally, yeah. his personality has kind of come out again. His BMs regulated, all of that. I mean, we're still a work in progress where, you know, we're oh, going yeah. on it'll to be, the next it'll be months and years, sure. Yeah, yeah. And we've got more to do, but that alone for me was shocking and revolutionary in the way I think, because I just kept thinking gluten-free was fine, but for mm. him, that's not fine. It's not, it's not the yeah. answer <laughs> because he has so much candida we got to get rid of. Right. So totally. I mean, what, what do parents do? Is it still better than nothing to eliminate dairy and gluten with kids with, you know, chronic Always. IBD issues and things or yeah, I would always 100%. And we can talk about that meal plan too. There's two sides to that one as a clinician trying to find a way to make it crystal clear because meeting with you for the first time, it's like drinking from a fire hose, sure. right? I'm giving you all this information. Here's a 14 page document I've created. Here's all the steps. Here's the meals. Here's the foods. Here's take this at this time. Don't take this within 90 minutes of that one. It's so much information. So it takes time to implement. So it's not your fault by any means. And I need to always, always can improve as a clinician to communicate that more easily over the years, you know, we've laid things out differently and it makes communication, but there's always, this is why we meet with you guys every week, right? We need to know. And so when we look at foods, for example, we often go, okay, well, gluten-free, dairy-free, as long as I do that, it's fine. In one of the instances we were having those, those smoothies, right? Whether it was boathouse or it was naked, naked. Or whatever, it was, it was I thought naked. it was clean. <laughs> it was totally. just juice, no added sugar. Right. <laughs> Let's talk. Cause that's a great way. Let's talk about that, which is so good because when you have these fruits, for example, and they're extracted out of their form, all that fiber is broken down. It's sugar up. And what is, like we talked about, fungus or candida loves is starches, carbs, and these sugars. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we're just, we're giving it candida juice is what it is. So, so we drink it down. He loves it, it too. Oh, I bet he does. That's <laughs> sugar's addictive. Like 
Of course he does. Well, ironically enough, candida also signals the brain saying, I want sugar. So we have these huge sugar cravings because your fungus is telling you, yeah. we give them the sugar cravings, the fungus overgrows and the cravings get worse. And now the snowball's rolling down the hill and we can't stop it. So there's a lot of pieces here. And so when we go gluten-free, dairy-free, we often think whatever we eat, as long as it's gluten-free, dairy-free, but it is really down to a structural level, what your body does with those foods, which is why like, we're keeping this food log to see what are we doing? What are we eating? How is he responding over days at a time? It's not just within an hour or so, four or five days later, what responses are we getting? And that's when we're seeing these, these changes happen uh, for a number of different reasons with the immune system and inflammation, how bacteria works. We need days at a time of a stretch of the same stuff. Um, so it makes a big difference. But on that note, you know, if we look back at foods and diet every time, always with any kind of autoimmune condition, especially things like thyroid off the beaten path here, we do remove gluten and sometimes even eggs because those on a molecular level can mimic some of these antibodies or mimic some of these things your body's acting against, making things worse. But dairy, especially in the US, American dairy is banned in like 15 different countries. They will not import it. Russia, China, EU, wherever, they won't import it because it's so full of junk and it's so inflammatory. They won't touch it. In fact, I had a roommate back in college from Germany and he grew up in a smaller town and he drank the milk. He's like, this isn't milk. He's like, what the hell is this? Because it tasted so awful because of the pasteurizing and the chemicals they add. Terrible. So, oh, it's brutal. And, and let's talk about gluten, right? Gluten, I don't eat wheat. I do not recommend gluten to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I made fajitas last night for Valentine's and they were awful. The meat and the veg were all great, um, but I used the rice flour and some xanthan gum and other things and the, the rolls fell apart. Gluten's that sticky good stuff, yeah. right? Um, but it tasted great and she was happy. Uh, easy to please. So married the right one. <laughs> <laughs> but when we look at gluten, for example, let's talk about what it does. Your body right? We all heard about leaky gut. We know inflammation is bad, right? Neuroinflammation, GI inflammation, but inflammation by nature is a good thing. Inflammation is your body bringing blood cells and blood flow and all kinds of stuff there to heal you. The pain is a result of hypersensitized nerve tissue and extra pressure on them from swollen uh, tissues. But inflammation by nature is a good thing. Your body's trying to heal you. The question is too much inflammation. That's a bad thing. Well, we know inflammation in the gut creates leaky gut. But leaky gut in itself is also a good thing, right? I'm sure many of us have experienced where we eat something or if, for Canadian listeners, you know, Tim Horton's coffee's changed over the years. One sip, I'm in the bathroom in minutes, five, 10 minutes, it runs through me. So what happened is my body detected this and said, okay, that's bad. We don't want this thing. So it actually opens up the cells in the intestines to draw water in, right? Like putting your thumb over the hose to like wash down your driveway, it creates pressure to flush things out. So it draws water loosened stool creates diarrhea out it goes because that's your body trying to get rid of something as quickly as possible it's this long-term inflammation sustained leaky gut that causes this bi-directional flow of, of, of stuff now instead of water coming in to flush things out those gaps in the cells get bigger and bigger and now large things like bacteria and pathogens and even food actually leak out getting into your bloodstream lymphatics circling around the brain getting into everywhere like your brain crossing the blood brain barrier creating or contributing to neuroinflammation no autistic child should be eating gluten ever food colorings, food dyes, sugars, any of that stuff. And if there's a gut issue, you're leaking into the brain, contributing to neuroinflammation. And it's a big, big problem. And in fact, in cases of autoimmunity, especially one single bite, I get people, oh, I just have gluten once in a while. It's every couple of weeks. One bite will inflame you for up to three months. So really? we avoid gluten. 
Yes. And if you consume it on special occasions, birthday, anniversary, Christmas, you're inflamed 12 months a year. Right. So this is why gluten for sure. Dairy, because it's trash in the United States. I'd be okay with raw milk. Lots of great stories with raw milk in all kinds of conditions, including autism, uh, raw unpasteurized because it's a, a living food. Um, but gluten and dairy, sugar, all those things I remove immediately. Food dyes, food colorings, they have to be removed uh, because we're in a dire situation. Yeah. And I know it's people listening are probably like, yeah, but my kid only eats four things. Like, and that's, Pizza, that's a fries, huge yeah. problem with, you know, this autistic population in general, just food sensitivities. And it's not just because they're picky. I hate when people say, well, your kid's a picky eater. Skylar, we have been blessed. He will eat anything I put in front of him. He try. I don't, I don't eat pork. I don't eat meat, but, uh, I made him pork. Yeah, so I was trying to find other meats for him and I learned how to cook it and he ate it and he liked it. I make pork fried rice with cauliflower and whatever he's, he likes everything I give him. So I'm, I do know that this is maybe easier for me than probably some people listening are like, I can't, I, there's no way I could do that. Same with supplements. He's always been a really good pill taker. So he, takes all of these supplements and his medical, you know, diagnosis pills or uh, prescriptions easily. I know I'm blessed in that way too, but mm -hmm. where there's a will, there's a way. And sometimes if you can open these capsules and sprinkle them into, we use um, Greek yogurt to give him his medicine. That's like zero everything. It's the Chobani nothing. I've read the labels. I mean, I'm a good yeah, label yeah. reader, but at this point, but it's the cleanest thing. And Anyway, so I know we're unique in that way that we can do some of the implement some of these mm -hmm. things. But if there is a way you can even swap out things for gluten free, the gluten free pastas taste really good. I mean, there's so many things now that are much better than they used to be when Skylar was three and I had to go to Whole Foods and, you know, skim the aisles to find anything that was like a fish stick or whatever that was something mm -hmm. a kid would eat. But the taste of the stuff is so much better now. And even the you know, but as you pointed out to me, I want to make sure I say this, that you should avoid, even if you're replacing dairy, do not replace it with the vegan, like diet cheeses and stuff. Right. Mm. Cause you said that's just nasty. And I'm like, Dang it, here again, I thought I, <laughs> I cheated the system. I figured something out. He could have some cheese, but you're like, Oh God, don't give him that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. years back i tried it myself too and honestly you're better off going with like a four-year aged like sheep cheese or a different form of dairy right uh, or milk with a different protein that's more aged and more dry like i don't i can't use butter but i use ghee right it's delicious mm -hmm. it's like ghee is to butter as dark chocolate is to chocolate it's just like a very rich concentrated fat with no dairy there are options but unfortunately, again, it does become cost prohibitive for some people, right? Because not everybody's blessed as well to have the finances to buy a $30 jar of ghee that will last them two weeks. You know what I mean? Like I use a lot of butter to be fair, um, but not everybody has that latitude. And so it's talking about gluten-free, you know, I have, we'll say my neurotypicals, right? Your average healthy adult who's just got a gut issue, Crohn's or colitis. I don't even let them have gluten-free. Mm -hmm. If it's a gluten-free bread, it's this, it's that, but this is the difference right? We want to make as much progress as we can. And so I cut them to whole foods. Some people I put on straight carnivore diets, all kinds, but everyone's different. Everyone's got different right. stuff and different needs. As a clinician, it is our job. Just like a physiotherapist working with an athlete, you tell them to rest, they're not going to rest. You have to do your best and support them to give them some latitude to heal. And the same with things like autism, right? I've had people where I say, look, 
your kid will not eat anything but pizza, French fries, and chicken fingers. Super common diet with autism, right? It's just that fried, good brown foods. Well, we can try different chicken fingers. I've had non-autistic kids who are picky and their moms tried to make or replicate the recipes with real chicken. They won't even eat that. Add the autism on top, it can be really challenging. But if you are blessed enough to be able to have kids who will, we'll say compromise in some way, right? Maybe you do make a chicken chicken finger, but you use a different kind of breading. Maybe you use a, a, a panko or what, I don't know if that's gluten-free or not, it's not but, but you make your own. It's mm -hmm. not. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> so I don't use panko clearly. They make gluten-free find... breadcrumbs though. They do make them. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that would be a fine alternative because it's just better than, at least we can make some progress in a neurotypical healthy adult. I'm strict. I crack down the yeah. hammer of God. I'm like, do not eat any of these things. You will set yourself back but we have to work within the range we have. And so on the far end of the spectrum, right? We have kids who will not eat anything, will not take anything, will not do anything. There's nothing we can do. We have to use pharmaceutical medications and injections and things we can get in any way we can just to slow progress. On the far end, we have kids like Skylar, who's very responsive, eats all the things, takes his pills, and he's great. That's a very easy autistic kid to work with in these instances. Then you have your stuff in the middle. We have to compromise. As a clinician, it's my job as a nutritionist as well to find means to sort of adapt to that as well, to try to find ways around and as a parent to be willing to experiment as frustrating as it can be, because ultimately you are the only path they have to getting better. It's just you. They can't do this by themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. I could communicate it. They wouldn't understand. They wouldn't keep up on it. Even my youngest brother, he's on the spectrum again with Asperger's. He's 15 years old. He still doesn't shower in the morning unless you're on him. Did you shower? Yep. Going to go do that. 20 minutes later. Did you shower? Nope. Going to go do that. 10 minutes later. Did you shower? Uh, go to school. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skyro doesn't realize how blessed he is to have me <laughs> yeah. to make oh, all the food saint. and do all this stuff for some him. Of, oh, well, some of the stuff you even acquiring your oat test, you're a Saint Lori. <laughs> oh my gosh. I won't even begin. I mean, everyone that <laughs> listens to me knows that he's not toilet trained. So yes, I had to ring out his pull-ups. We had to get lab permission that that would work. And you know, over time we got enough urine to send. We got and enough urine. I, I questioned my uh my role in life at a certain point of scooping in poop and uh squeezing out pull-ups for urine, but I'll do anything to help this kid. Blessed mother, that's your role. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so for the clients who can speak to you and and aren't having someone speak on their behalf like I'm doing with Skylar, um, you know, can you just share? I'm sure you get hundreds and thousands of feedback from people, but when they do alter their diet and they do take the supplements, the binders, the candida killers, the, all the stuff that, um, you know, we're doing with Skylar. What is some of the feedback that you get? I know you've said people are healed. Essentially their Crohn's is gone. Their colitis is gone, but how does that change their lives? I just can't wait for Skylar to spell to me how much he feels better, but I, I'd love to hear some of the feedback yeah. that you routinely get from people when they, I'm, I'm so excited for that. When, like I would love to, again, I never say for the sake of false hope, but I've seen it done. And so I'm, I'm never the type to go, well, it's rare, or it doesn't happen often, or well, you know, it is what it is. So why bother? I'm like, oh, one in a billion can do it. I'm going to try, mm -hmm. except lottery tickets. I don't buy lottery tickets. That's the only thing I won't wing on. Um, You'll never but, win if you don't buy. Right. Yeah, that's what my dad says. He says the greatest <laughs> increase in odds are from zero to one. Buy one and stop there. Um, <laughs> but when we look at this, I'm like, it is possible. So why would I as a clinician not be willing to go to the ends of the earth to try to help someone improve their quality of life? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that there is a possibility that maybe Skylar can speak again. Who knows? 
right? If that's out there, that's a, even if it's years away, why would we not try? Mm -hmm. If there's nothing inhibiting us or stopping us, if it's not a matter of time or money, it's just a matter of effort and willpower. Why not try? It's been done. We've seen it before. And so I don't know where I was going with that. You asked me a question. Well, I got so excited. Your about other clients. Like, I mean, I'd love <laughs> oh, to know right. what people say, because I know just from what you've said and just from talking to other people that, that live with this, my, some of my closest friends have Crohn's and I message them all the time. Like, tell me how this feels. Skylar's acting this way. Could it be the food or whatever? Everyone's always having to cipher for me. So they've said, it's just like walking around in a fog, almost like you're drunk, like the mm. foods and the candida and all this stuff just makes your, you can't focus and you just, you yeah. know, are, and it makes so much sense that his anxiety is up. His aggression's up. He can't really focus. He's, you know, according to therapy programs in schools, he's just not really developing very much. Well, because he's so distracted because his stomach hurts all the time. So for people who've yeah. recovered, um, using these methods and things like what, what do they tell you? Like how much their life is dramatically changed, oh, I imagine. Well, I think it's great to even bring that up on a neurotypical and autism spectrum because it is literally a spectrum. We mm -hmm. have a spectrum of disease or autoimmunity, right? It's an autoimmune risk spectrum or severity spectrum, just like autism is a spectrum. What makes things worse? Well, picture, Laura, you got a broken leg, right? And you're trying to jump on a bloody trampoline. You're going to hurt it. And so that's what makes pain in things worse. The nervous system, the more inflamed it is, the worse the outcome, right? Being nonverbal, being more aggressive, hitting more. You know what I mean? Like these are things that are the far end of the spectrum of severity. If we can bring the inflammation down, we can bring down the severity of the symptoms, which are autism being a neuroinflammatory condition. It's just inflammation mm -hmm. combined with yes, as many factors like genetics and all kinds. So I don't want to poo poo that, but neuroinflammation is the biggest part. So let's talk about people who are healthy, right? Neurologically healthy. I've got a guy who's actually the reason I'm going to Texas next week for this TV show. Uh, 16 years with severe ulcerative colitis, 20 plus bowel movements a day. Every time mm. he sit on the toilet, sweating, a bent over in pain and crying some days, a grown man, the pain was so severe. You'd never know we had it today. It took us six months. That's all it was. And we reversed his IBD. And so his doctors are perplexed. They think his medication must've just finally started working after 16 years. You know what I mean? It's just asinine and he's perfectly fine. And he's like, well, I haven't taken medication in two years. How do you explain that? Oh, well, we don't really know. I know, let me tell you. Well, that doesn't work, right? That's the response we get. Um, I had another lady, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. It took us 90 days. She had Crohn's disease, had a scope, had the works. And her doctor says, well, I want you on Antivio. We have a testimony in the IBD, Support and Solutions Group. She did a testimony a couple of weeks back. Her doctor says, well, you should be on Antivio. You have Crohn's. She says, I don't want it. I want to try a natural method. We went through 90 days. She came out. She had a CT enterography done. So they scanned her whole GI tract no signs of Crohn's disease, no symptoms, no nothing. And her doctor says to her, I shit you not, Lori, I think you should still take the Intivio. She goes, why? It's an immunosuppressant drug. She goes, well, you have Crohn's disease. She goes, no, I don't. It's gone, but you have it. So she's treating the chart, not the patient who has no signs. If you took somebody in who's tested positive for IBD and whatever, colitis or Crohn's, and they have minimal to no symptoms, most doctors won't bother medicating them at all but you're trying to trying to push a, a biologic immunosuppressive drug on somebody who has no signs of disease. Like it is so asinine and backwards. And so it very much is we get these people who are sick, who are not only in pain with blood and mucus in their stool, they can't think clearly because again, it's contributing to neuroinflammation. Mm -hmm. 
Now, imagine having autism and you're already neuro, knowledge, neurologically inflamed, and then you add inflammation from the GI tract. Of course, they're nonverbal and they're hitting you because they're in so much pain and they're so inflamed and their entire cognitive process is inhibited. You can't walk around on a sprained ankle. You can't think with an inflamed brain, an inflamed nervous system. And so what we get is people coming in who are they're debilitated lives. They have no ability to go to work. Their sex lives and intimate lives are destroyed. They can't eat. They have no energy. They're on the couch all day. They're housebound because they're so frequent with accidents to going back and living normal lives like they never had this disease. That's the possibility here. But unfortunately, they're told in the Western world that nothing can be done. It's just autoimmune. What can you do? Mm -hmm. Prime example, I'll use this fake name to have a testimonial yet, but we're going to interview him in a couple of weeks here. He's getting cleared by his doctor. 22-year-old male comes in, Lori, you've heard me tell this story, started a new job in HVAC, two months into his job, goes to see his doctor with GI issues, previously healthy, diagnosed him with IBS. Six months after that, goes back with blood in his stool and mucus. Doctor says, you have ulcerative colitis. He goes, how did I get it? Well, you're Jewish. Jewish people get it more. I'm like, <laughs> pardon my French, but what the fuck kind of excuse is that? <laughs> oh my God. He says, wow. yeah. he says, it's because you're Jewish. Your family's Jewish and Jewish people get it more. I'm like, that's a bullshit answer. I said, okay, 15 minutes, Lori, to do a history of what's going on. Started a new job in HVAC. I said, what kind of homes were you working on? So he's in ventilation, old homes, new homes, renos, whatever. I said, okay, did you wear a PPE? He goes, no. I said, great. You probably have a mold infection. Yeah. Did a urine test. Or something. Positive, right? <laughs> Came back positive for OTA. That's okra toxin A which is well-known to cause liver disease, kidney disease, neurological issues, and of course, Crohn's and colitis. 10 weeks, got this out of his system, killed it off. No more medication, no more symptoms, no pain, no disease. Doctor's perplexed. He's going back in a couple of weeks. They want to do another scan just to make sure he's perfectly fine because he had a trigger that never got removed. And so all we had to do was pull it out and gave his body the opportunity and the circumstance to heal itself. It's not because you're Jewish. It's because you had a mold infection. I hope he quit his job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or started wearing no, PPE. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing his PPE now. Yeah. Oh but my it's, gosh. It's, it's crazy. And it's so backwards. And, and I know some people are like, oh, he swears. I don't want to work with him. That's fine. I don't care. Um, you're I, also you're, tattooed you're like I am. So, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I got sleeves and leg pieces and on my torso. Uh, it comes with the territory. No. But the idea is, I just get so fired up because it doesn't make sense. And the entire medical system is designed around managing symptoms not treating root causes. Right. It is sick care, not health care. And so you have people running around with disease that could be reversed in a matter of weeks or months. I had a woman after 16 years of colitis, she saw eight different doctors, went to the Mayo Clinic, had three doctors say, eat whatever you want, doesn't matter. We'll cut out your colon one day anyway, do it now or do it later. She didn't, Lori, 40 and 50 bowel movements a day. She carried a bucket in her car. She wore diapers all the time. <sighs> three weeks, she was down to five and eight bowel movements. That's all it took. And now there's more layers to peel back, but we gave her 90% relief in three weeks by going after her roots. And it can be that easy. And most of these doctors, A, refuse to listen, B, don't want to listen, or C, they're so stuck in the system requiring them to meet 30 and 40 patients a day to hit the insurance thresholds to get paid. They have no time to meet with me, right. let alone to spend an hour with each patient to sit down and figure out what's going on. And then three more hours on programming and order these labs. And it takes me three to six hours per client I see to go through the information mm -hmm. just to make the program. And then we have to meet weekly. It's not a financially viable situation for the medical system, which is run on insurance, right. send them through like cattle, give them a drug, get them out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can attest to your thoroughness um, and, you know, just <laughs> customizing each 
program. Um, so before we end, I just, I want to make sure we talk about that a little bit. If people are interested in contacting you and seeing if, if you guys could work together, or, you know, if, if it's financially, um, not prohibitive for them to work with you. I mean, and I say that because you have various programs, various things people can do to work with you. Um, you know, there's less expensive options. It's just for me, it was, and I think for a lot of parents of autistic loved ones, we do everything. And it's sad because some of the, a lot of the things that we are drawn to, people take advantage of us because we are willing mm. to do anything yeah. to make our kids feel better and not be miserable in their own bodies. And so we get taken advantage of a lot. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I talk about all that in my book too. We've done the hyperbaric oxygen chambers. We owned one. We, we've done everything and nothing has really helped until honestly, this uncovering his GI issues was the best first step I ever took. And I didn't take no for an answer from anyone. And I got him scoped and we at least got to the bottom of this. And now working with you, I just see such a light in his eyes. I cannot wait for the next phase and the next phase. It's a three phase process. So how do people best get in touch with you? And do you just want to share quickly what the programs kind of are? Like I'm talking about phases, but just to explain it a little bit better for people. 100%. Yeah. So first, if anybody wants to reach me, you can head over to gutsolution.ca. Um, on that website, there's contact information. There's information about my podcast as well, which is a gut health podcast. We talk about the roots and contributing factors and how your gut's connected to every aspect of everything in your body and vice versa. And we work with some of the world's most famous doctors, Dr. Stephen Gundry, Dr. William Lee. We just had some amazing, amazing guests. And of course, there's two episodes a week we release. Uh, but all that can be found at gutsolution.ca. Contact information, a bit more about what we do and then the podcast. Uh, let's talk about the program. Sure. So we break it down. Number one, when somebody comes in, we have to get you registered. There's a lot of history. As you know, we have to do a first intake interview, see if we can figure out right away in the first 20 to 30 minutes, what are the causes, contributing factors, what else is going on? Once we have that, number one, if we find something contributing, again, like Candida, like Skylar, for example, we have to really prevent contributing to that. Or if it's mold, we have to get you out of the environment, figure out where it came from to quit or to prevent re-inoculation and constant con contribution to these issues. So the first thing we have to do is prevent. That's stage number one. Stage number two, we have to remove whatever that thing is, right? Picture going to the hospital. You see your doctor, you got this thorn in your hand and it's swollen and pussy and infected and you can't move your hand. If they just gave you ointment for the pain, you lose it, like pull the thorn out. And so what we need to do is find the thorn. What is causing the inflammation in their gut, their nervous system causing the problem? And so we prevent contribution to the problem. We have to remove the thorn, whatever that may be as quickly or as easily and effectively. And of course, as safely as possible, mm -hmm. doing too much too fast can be just as bad and just as dangerous. Uh, once we do that, we have to go through and rebuild the gut microbiome, the GI integrity, the GI tissues, all of that. We have to repair that gut or that nervous system, any damage done to the organs and organ systems. And then the last part is rejuvenate the immune system. Right. We talked about the three causes of IBD. So your toxins, your microbial imbalances, and your diet and nutrient deficiencies. The three we didn't get a chance to get to, and that's super okay. But these are the things that lead to autoimmunity are a trigger of some kind, right? That can be a stressful event, giving birth, or whatever it might be. We have a genetic predisposition that might make you prone to these problems. And of course, leaky gut. Leaky gut causes autoimmunity. What is autism considered an autoimmune neuroinflammatory condition? So of course we got leaky gut. You won't find anybody 
anybody ever, you'd be hard pressed. If you find one, let me know. I'll be shocked with any kind of autoimmune condition who doesn't have a leaky gut. It's always, it's one of the three legs of leaky gut and uh, or uh, autoimmune disease. And so what we have to do is number one, sit down, figure out the roots. Number two, we have to do a bunch of intakes and questionnaires. Mm-hmm. As you know, there's, there's dozens of pages of intake paperwork we have to do. We have to do a secondary assessment. Once we have that, we'll know where the roots are coming from, what to do. So we prevent it, we remove it, we rebuild that microbiome, we repair all the damaged tissues and then rejuvenate the immune system. And of course, that's part of replenishing all the nutrients and everything as well. So it is a very meticulous process. Some people are a couple of weeks, some people are a couple of months. Um, And I know you mentioned, Lori, people are willing to take advantage of, unfortunately. We we do live in a capitalistic world. Um, There are people willing to take advantage of desperate people. And I get accused all the time, like, you do IBD, you make money off of sickness. And I, I've had people hate me. I've been harassed. I've been threatened for it because I make money off of sick people, they say. Well, what do you think your insurance company is doing? Billing yeah. $20,000 a month to keep you sick. Well, and you're making you know us I mean? better. Like we have, yeah. you're making us better, making the system better. So it's a couple hundred bucks a month mm-hmm. for a 16 week program. And at the end of 16 weeks, if you come in, you're like, man, I feel the exact same as the day I walked in, me or my kid, we will continue working with you for free until we do move that needle because we're not here. I don't want your money. I mean, yeah, I got I got to make a living. I got to eat and, you know, pay for groceries and rent. <laughs> but the idea is we don't want your money. If we don't get you better, we're not interested in getting paid. Mm-hmm. We have to get you better. And we're stuck to that. It's on our agreement. Section 17 of my agreement that I signed as well is a continuation for, for success. And so we want to make sure people are getting better, but it is a meticulous, intensive process. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy because of course I can't just give people their money back for no reason or, you know, keep working for no reason. It's like, there's a lot of work on your end. You have to check in every single week. You have to do the work. And if you're not in a place where you're willing to do the work, look honestly at that and say, Hey, not right now. I've had people come in Lori. And I've said, you know what? I can't help you right now. You need to do this first because right now this is the next stage. I've had people come in who weren't willing to make change. I said, great. We can see you in a few months. Maybe you need to deal with X, Y, Z first. And then when you're ready, because I don't want to waste my time or yours. If I'm going to keep working with someone at no cost, they better be doing the work. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, because it's not it's not going to be my fault then. It's going to be theirs. And, and I won't work with somebody who's not willing. But if you are willing, I can promise you the results you're going to get are unlike anything you believe possible. Yeah. Well, and I'm testimonial to that. I mean, I honestly, people, again, know me, I, I hope, well enough to know that I don't ever um, share anything that, um, I didn't have a good experience with, or if I didn't, I explain why maybe it didn't work for us, but I still think it's a great idea or program or service or whatever it is so that other people can look into it. But I just, the changes I've seen in Skylar already, I mean, I was desperate posting on all my pages and everything like in tears because I, I just, we lost our kid and it's just, it's, awful to experience that. And it's supposed to be getting better with age, not (laughs) losing him a little bit at a time. So I will link up your um, website and for ways that you mentioned people to talk to you. Your podcast is called Reversible. The A-B-L-E is all in caps, Reversible Podcast. Um, There's an episode 41 that you just recently posted where you talk about the negative correlation to your gut when you're experiencing anxiety, trauma, and stress. So I think Mm. all caregivers should listen to that episode because it really might be helpful because we live in a life of anxiety and stress and trauma (laughs) most days of our lives. So um, I think that really would be a helpful one to listen to just to get more understanding of you and your background and the experts too and all of that. So I really appreciate your time. 
working with me and doing this podcast for me. It's absolutely been a pleasure, Lori. The only thing I want to do here is I just want people to know what's possible. That's the dream. You know, it's if we can understand what's possible, because the Western medical system, regrettably, is just it's not that a lot of them aren't interested. Most doctors go to school meaning well. They want to do better. They want you to feel better. They want to help you. But they're in a system. Martin Screlly, he was the fall guy for, uh, he's voted the most hated man in America. He's the guy or one of the guys who is in charge of big pharma's profit margins, which are 56,000% markups. And his quote was, we're in the business of making money, not curing people. We have a responsibility to our shareholders. And that is medicine. Mm-hmm. That Those same companies pay for medical school they pay for the studies that get taught. And so a lot of these doctors who mean well just don't have the information that will actually get you better. Us functional medicine specialists, we go out. It's our own time, our own money, and our own career. I met with some great doctors who left their practice, who left all their financial security because they said, this isn't working. We need something better. And they went out on their own and risked everything to try to bring this health and wellness to people. And that's that's our dream. That's our mission as a community. So I'm so thankful you brought me here. We can just shed some light on what's possible. Yeah. Well, I, we, I appreciate your passion and we as families need more support. So I, I'm glad to add you to my village. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.